Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good morning and welcome to the Coffee Clatch Special Needs Talk Radio Network. This is Marianne Russo. I am very excited to be kicking off our 2015 fall season this morning, and we have one of our favorite guests, Dr. Temple Grandin. Dr. Grandin is um, seeing a trend in parenting um, children and young adults with autism. The parent's inability to let go and allow the young adult or child to develop life skills and she joins us today to discuss this issue, and she will be taking your calls. So you can call in and start getting onto the queue at 646-595-2881. Dr. Grandin is one of the world's most accomplished and well-known adults with autism. She has a Ph.D. in animal science from the University of Illinois and is a professor at Colorado State University. She is the author of many, many outstanding books, including some of national bestsellers, Thinking in Pictures and Animals in Translation. And Dr. Grandin is a past member of the Board of Directors of the Autism Society of America. She is one of Time Magazine's most influential people of the year and the HBO series on her life won seven Emmy Awards. So I am thrilled to have back for her, seven, for her eighth appearance, Dr. Temple Grandin. Hi, Temple. How are you? Well, it's great to be on the show. Oh, we always love having you. You know, I want to read something that's on your website that I think is very fitting um, for today's interview. And it's the problem with labels, lacking life skills. And it it reads, a label also can impact parental expectation, a major source of therapeutic momentum. A parent with a diagnosed autistic child might be reluctant to teach practical social skills that are outside the child's comfort zone, such as ordering food at a lunch counter. It hurts because they don't have enough expectations for the kids. I see too many kids who are smart, who've graduated, but they're not getting a job because when they're young, they didn't learn any work skills. They've got no life skills. The parent thinks, oh, poor Tommy, he has autism, so he doesn't have to learn things like shopping. Um, You know, you, you, you reference back to the way you were raised in the 1950s, and I think uh, you know, it's so important today. We're both seeing this trend. We discussed it the other day. So um, what are you seeing? You know, we spoke the other day, and you said you have a lot of concerns um, for what you're seeing with parents' inability. a lot of concerns. Very typical thing I'll see is a, you know, a fully verbal kid, you know, 10 or 11 years old, um, kind of clutching mom. Mom will come up and say, my son has a question, and then I'll say, well, your son needs to ask the question. I'll see that also happening in the meeting. The mom will start to talk, and then I'll take the wireless mic bring it right up there and hand it to the kid, and I'll get him to talk to the whole entire group. But one of the things i got to do is I have to, like, put my hand to shush the audience back so they don't clap too soon because you've got to give the kid time to respond. 
but they're not uh, getting out and doing things. Um, I'm seeing parents that just can't let go. I talked to one family during one of my delayed flights. They had a boy in his mid-teens, very good at doing animation, you know, but in the summer just in his room all day doing it. And I said, we've got to get him out of the house. And then <coughs> I found out that their church had some video that needed needed editing. And I said, great, he needs to be put to work doing that. But he needs to do it in the church office. I want his butt out of that room. And mom started to cry and say, I just can't let go. I said, it's the church office a mile down the road, and you're really good friends with the pastor. I said, you've got to let go. You know, I think it becomes a knee-jerk reaction um, for parents to become overprotective overprotective, you know, the high level of anxiety um, in parents often limits their ability to foster these life skills. And I think there's, it's also parents also have a problem finding a balance between their child's level of functioning and, um, you know, the safety concerns of the parents. Um, so, you know, what, you know, I know that you travel a lot and you see a, a lot of, um, you know, families that are affected by autism. So what, what do you see as the biggest problem as far as do you, do you find that um, the parents are just with the children one-on-one and they're not being exposed um, to other situations? We have to remember autism's got a lot of, um, you know, different degrees from, you know, fully verbal to uh, nonverbal with many other medical problems on top of the autism. I mean, the first thing you got to do is look at the age of the child. Now, one of the things that helped me was a lot of old-fashioned 1950s parenting methods that were used on all children. And one of them I call teachable moments. Like to teach table manners, if I started to do something like stick my finger in the mashed potatoes or stir my drink with my finger, you know, the tendency lots of times is to say, no. Well, instead, mother would say, use the spoon or use the fork. She would give the instruction. And other parents did that, too. Another thing that all children did in, the, in our community in the 50s, when I was like seven and eight years old, was party hostess and party hosts. And when the family had a dinner party, I had to greet the guests, shake hands with them, talk to them, serve the snacks at the cocktail hour. And then when it was time for the sit-down dinner, they wanted the kids to disappear. But all during the cocktail hour, we were little hostesses and hosts, and my brother had to do it, too. He was not autistic. And... My brother hated the parties, and he admitted it actually helped him become a senior bank vice president, and he's not autistic because he learned how to talk to older men when he was young. Uh, This was just standard procedure in in the 50s where social things were taught in a much more structured manner. I was shopping at the little candy store post office for popsicles when I was probably seven and eight years old, and I learned exactly what I could buy with 50 cents, which was my allowance. Well, you know, you you often say, you know, even when we've just spoken, just um, you know, sitting together, that you know, parents can't you can't just say no. Um, That's right. That's right. So you know, these are teachable moments. Everything in life, um, you know, but what you want to do unless you're doing some, something like running into the street. Well, I think of another case. I was at a farm convention, and there was a mom there, and um, the boy was maybe seven or eight, fully verbal. And I wanted to get a conversation going, so I asked the child what uh, this family owned a dairy. So I asked the child um, what breed of cow they had, and Mom answered the question. Well, I asked the question because I wanted the kid to answer that they raised Holsteins. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to get the kid engaged in talking. And then there was a, an exhibit there of an antique butter churn, and, which, and he got rough with it. And I just said, turn it gently. 
I didn't scream no at him. I said, turn it gently. And then he went into the hotel manager's office and tried to use the computer. And I said, you need to ask the man if you can use the computer. I gave right. the instructions. I didn't just right. scream no when he started going in the hotel office. You know, and I think it, a lot of what's really affected um the, the social skills is the electronics. I mean, I see it all the time, like you at the airports. You know, the kids, I understand they're bored, but they're not interacting with anyone. They're not even interacting with the parents. They're on their electronic device, um, you know, and at home they're sitting on their computers. And, you know, it's it, they're not gaining the life skills they're going to need to go out and get a job and to go to college and to we be independent. We need to limit surfing on the Internet, YouTube videos, video games, one hour a day. We've got to limit it. That was the rule in the 50s on television. Now, I want to tell you about another event I went to that was just fabulous. I went to a thing called a Maker Fair, and they also another name for it. It's a STEAM Fest for, you know, science, technology, engineering, art, and math. And at this STEAM Fest, or Maker Fair, that's another name for this type of event, they have a whole bunch of booths where kids can do fun activities. And one of the booths was um, a washing machine boxes that the kids could cut up and make forts out of. Another booth had a, had a drones. Uh, then there was a robot that was controlled with an iPad. There was empty cardboard boxes for Minecraft blocks. You could make catapults out of scrap lumber. Um, you know what? The number one hit was the most popular activity for the kids was the washing machine boxes. Really? Okay. Oh, yes. And right next to the washing machine box booth, there was... Um, all those 3D electronics with 3D glasses, they went right by that so they could play with the boxes. Uh, and they were having the greatest time, and they figured out a very clever way to, to allow little kids to cut that heavy corrugated cardboard safely. Um, they take hacksaw blades, bust them in half, and then tape one end for with, with duct tape. So now you have a little mini saw, and even the four-year-olds mm-hmm. could cut the cardboard with that, and it's not going to cut their hands. And they were having just the greatest time uh, doing free play with these. Um, and then the, another popular exhibit, someone had just taken small boxes, empty boxes, taped them shut, and now you had giant Minecraft blocks, and it was labeled Minecraft. And it was just cardboard boxes for the kids to play with, uh, to use as blocks. We need to be doing more of these kinds of activities. And you know what made me so happy? There wasn't a single phone or iPad visible right at that event except for the ipad that that was used to uh, operate the drone and the robots but other than that all the phones were in everybody's pocket it was so great to see the kids doing free play with these boxes and they were having the best time right and i think you know parents don't expect that you know, parents don't expect it. And, you know, I think a lot of times the part of the problem is that, you know, the, the children can have a meltdown or the child may um, become very agitated at the first thought of doing something. And, you know, you've said many times that, you know, your mother gave you an option to go visit your aunt for two weeks or the whole summer, and you wound up loving it. So, That's you right. know, you know, we've done interviews before about, you know, fear um, and anxiety at the core of autism. So, you know, well, it, is, it, it is at the core. And I talked to another family, their kid was afraid to go to sleepaway camp, and then he loved it. You know, now the thing is, you don't want to have a surprise. Like, I had right. seen pictures of the ranch. I had talked to Ann. I talked to one parent the other day where their kid went to a new high school, and it was awful. 
and the kid hadn't even seen the school's web page. Now, I think it would be a good idea to um, visit the school, you know, maybe uh, you know, in the spring, you know, before it closes, so it's not such a surprise, but at least look at the school's website. They hadn't even done that to prepare them, so it's, you want to reduce the surprise factor. Right. And, you know, um, one of the things that parents tell me is that, you know, they're, they're fantastic. They're exposing them to a lot of things. They're finding what their um, talents and unique abilities are. But when it comes down to basic life skills is where they're seeing um, a lack of independence, um, such That's as what I'm seeing um, too, shopping, you know, such as being able to go do their laundry. Let's say, okay, they yes. go off to college or they move out, you know, going shopping for clothing, doing food shopping, doing um, um, doing their laundry, they become very overwhelming tasks. So, you know, um, how does a how do you teach a child this? You know, because I think what happens is we do for our kids. We do the laundry, we pick up their room, we do everything. You know? Well, when I went to the special boarding school, uh, we had a weekly outing. We would go into town and we'd do our laundry at the laundromat, and then we had a little bit of allowance and account. We'd go buy some stuff. You know, like a special shampoo or just, you know, uh, some little thing. And that taught shopping. And and I'm seeing major problems where you've got like an 18-year-old honor student who's on the spectrum that has never grocery shopped. I mean, this is the sort of stuff that I was taught these things young. These were non-issues for me. Well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that you were taught young because um, one of the things that you talk about are that the most important skills are taught under the age of eight. Um, well, and, you know, that makes a lot people, of sense. Yep, greeting people. And, and and the thing is, if I went over to the Culver's house, she corrected me, too. That's just what the parents did in the 50s. I remember at the Culver's house, I took some beef and I cut all the beef up in small pieces. And Mrs. Culver goes, you cut one piece off at a time and eat it. She gave the instruction. She was more strict than mom on manners. Right. Well, you behaved at the Culver's house, but they had the cooler stuff. <laughs> They had the dark room, the pool table, and the best director set there ever was. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's and, and children are so impressionable. I mean, I do believe that children learn by example. So if they see you behaving appropriately, um, you know, th- that's very important, just like you were raised, um, you know, no, with, I think um, they need some expectations. I remember another time I went to a, a dinner party at, um, at a college president's house. I'm not going to say where this was. It was somewhere in the U.S., Parents come in. I've got a kid about 12. This kid's fully verbal, you know, clinging on to mom. And then we sit down for the dinner. And they was a catered dinner. And they brought takeout in because their son didn't want to eat the food, which was beef, beans, potatoes, salad, all the dressings and sauces on the side. So the food was very plain. And then the kid started to pick this sliced chicken take up with his takeout in his hands in a very messy manner. And I said, this is a formal dinner. You need to use the utensils. And he did. He ate the entire meal with the utensils. And he actually tried some of the other food. I yeah, gave you know, a lot the instructions in a stern voice. Well, you know, I, I think one of the problems is that oftentimes the parents, you know, the children have such difficulties. It, I mean, let's face it, it is yeah, overwhelming. Right. There are educational right. challenges. There are behavioral challenges. Um, yeah. You know, there's the 
misunderstanding um, of the people in the community. So, you know, it, it's getting through the day is tough. Um, so, you know, teaching life skills, you know, you sort of think that they're going to acquire things as they age, but I think it's a, it's important to be said what you're saying, that, you, you know, these skills it. need to uh, teach young. But now, let's just say that you have um, a ch- uh, young adult, and they are lacking. I mean, it's never too late. So what tips oh, no, would you have? You're going to have to take them in the store out on field trips. I've talked to a lot of people that teach social skills. They take them on shopping field trips, they're going to restaurants, ordering food, going to the laundromat. They take them out on these field trips because it never is too late to learn. And then, you know, Mother taught me how to use a checking account. That was another thing I learned, you know, late teens. Right. And also, you know, just commuting. Um, you know, not. I would imagine that the majority um, of these kids are not going to be driving. So it's important to teach them, you know, the transit system so that they can get well, around. Well, that's right. Know? Now, when it comes to driving, uh, if I hadn't learned to drive, I would have never have been able to have done any of my cattle um, stuff that I did. Uh, it takes longer because of the multitasking. I drove 200 miles all that first summer on my aunt's dirt roads, three miles up to the mailbox, three miles back. And we had to get the mail every day anyway. And so I had 200 miles of dirt road driving before I got near any traffic. And I think one of the problems is that uh, driver's ed chucks them into it way too fast. Well, 200 miles, that's you know, it's, uh, using up quite a bit of gas. Right. So what I'd recommend is a tank of gas be burned up in a totally safe place, like dirt roads, back roads, open fields, parking lots, before you go near any traffic so that you can learn how to operate the car on autopilot, where you don't have to think about how to steer, how to brake. And then this truck that I learned on, it was three on the tree with a really nasty clutch. And I had to learn how to use a clutch. Wow. <laughs> and what, what, why do you think that you're not driving? Because you don't drive, right? No, I do drive. Oh, you do drive. Okay. I do drive. I what's happened now? Oh yes, I do drive. I drive to the airport. Absolutely, I do drive. The only t- but what's happening when I'm getting older, I'm getting to where I don't really want to drive in strange, especially in strange cities. You know, right. With all the traffic, um, you know, I I have cut down some of the stress. But no, I drive to the airport. I know exactly uh, where I have to like get over in the right lane, different parts of the road to the airport. Yes, I drive to the airport on around town. I drive. And, you know, the importance is getting out into the community and doing things. Um, Because, you know, if you don't expose the children to different situations, it's going to be very hard for them to even know their interests. Well, Um, you have to get exposed to things. Like I have regular normal students ask me, well, how did you get interested in cattle? And I said I was exposed to them when I was 15. I think one of the worst things the schools have done is taking out the hands-on classes because students aren't getting exposed to enough different stuff to find out they might like diesel mechanics, and that's an area where there's a huge number of open jobs right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, how are they going to know they like engines if they never work with engines? You see, that kind of stuff's been taken out of the schools. And, or how are you going to know you like theater if there's no school play or music or band or art or a lot of different things? Right. And, you know, it's it's it's... Like we're talking about these teachable moments and these skills, and it's it's so important, um, you know, to be specific with the children to teach them these skills because it's not you're not just teaching them these skills for now so that you can go to the restaurant and have a meal. These are skills that they're going to need so that they can get out into the world um, and you know 
and contribute to the to the world. Well, um, restaurant but, you know, you, ordering, I was doing that by the time I was, you know, um, oh, eight or nine, by the time I could read really well. Right. And, you know, there a lot of um, businesses now are actually being trained in how to cater to uh, families that have children with autism. Missing Peace USA, um, they're going to be doing a show. You know Diane Porter. Um, they're yes. going to be doing a show on the network. And, you know, it's important. It's important also that these businesses, whether they're, you know, party places or restaurants or offices, um, understand um, autism, and that they can appreciate and understand how valuable um, of an asset these kids and young adults well, are going I mean, to be. Well, in Silicon Valley, um, you know, got mild autism. Because another thing I've talked about is, um, you know, the mild autism. See, the problem we got with autism now with the DSM, uh, you know, 2013 version, is now the spectrum is so broad, going from socially awkward Silicon Valley and and mm-hmm. uh, artists and musicians to somebody who is nonverbal and maybe have serious epilepsy and other medical problems on top of the autism. So you're dealing with a very, you know, you've got the same name to people mm-hmm. with very differing with differing needs. Exactly. That's that's I think and that's what one of the biggest problems is is that, you know, that it's so vast um that even training businesses is difficult. Well, but, that's the problem. Right. Right. And, but you know, and, you, uh, you go ahead. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, go ahead. Yep, this is where I still have problems with figuring out the rhythm of speech. Of, and what <laughs> you're, you're doing better than I am. <laughs> okay. Well, you may, maybe we ought to take some calls. Right. Um, actually, we're having a little problem with the switchboard, and we are trying to get that fixed. I see they're in queue, but they're not being able to come up, so we're working on the back ends with Blog Talk right now to try to get them up. Um, okay. You have, you've, you've talked about having um, excessive praise. Um, as being a bad thing for parents. And I know that, you know, parents, you know, they can, like you were just saying before, you know, the child shows up on time and there's this enormous praise. So, um, but you don't think that's a good idea. So does excessive well, praise distort the reality of accomplishment? I, I, I think it does because the 50s way of doing it, and, you know, I can think of a lot of kids um, that I grew up with in the 50s that would definitely be on the autism spectrum today that own businesses and, and things like this. Um, you were you you were expected to do things like be on time, have good table manners. That was just expected. But if you did something really exceptional, like a really nice art project, that's when I'd get a lot of praise. When I made a very mm-hmm. nice clay horse, um, I got lots and lots of praise. Um, you know, for something really exceptional. You know, but the praise was saved for when I sang a, a song at a concert that was really nice. You know, for something that was kind of special not just for getting up in the morning and getting down to breakfast on time. That was just expected. Right. And that so was the how, normal 50s style of parenting. So how do you think a parent um, should approach something like that? Because, you know, these, for, for a child that is, uh, with, with a lot of challenges, that is an accomplishment. Well, the thing is, this is where you have to look at the, at the level of the child. Um, I'm talking here about fully verbal. By the time I was four and a half, I was fully verbal. You know, so I'm talking about fully verbal individual. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with somebody that's more severe, they may require more praise. You see, this is where autism is such a big spectrum. But on the fully verbal end of the spectrum, um, you know, something like table manners and being on time should be expected. You see, because the thing, what they're calling executive function problems in college, where kids are having trouble um, 
getting up in time for class and getting their homework done, I, that was a non-issue for me. I had a lot of social problems in college, but getting on, being on time for class was not one of them. Right, right. And, you know, I think that that's, um, you know, I, I, I look at you and, you know, I know you and I, I see what your mother did and I'm just like in, in awe because this is how it's supposed to be. And a lot of parents are able to do this, but I think it's the fear and anxiety, like I said before, in the parents. And, you know, the biggest fear is that we are unintentionally, a lot of parents are creating um, recluses. Well, this is a problem. One of the big problems I'm seeing right now are recluses in the room. And uh, this is something mother absolutely would not allow this. I had to get out and do things. And when I went away to special boarding school, I didn't do very much studying while I was there. But, boy, I cleaned a lot of horse stalls, and I did a lot of carpentry work because one of the things that Mr. Patey would not allow was being a recluse in my room. When I didn't want to go to a Friday night movie, I had a choice. I could be the projectionist. Or I could sit in the audience, but not going was not going to be an option. You know, mm-hmm. this getting them out of their room, you know, where they just now they're just sitting all day on the internet looking up, you know, either stupid websites or unsavory websites, or playing video games all day. Now I'm not going to ban internet surfing, but we need to get mm-hmm. that sort of stuff down to an hour, two hours at the absolute most. And you're going to have to do get out of your room because this is the, where I'm seeing bad outcomes. It's these recluses in the room. You've got to get them out. I've talked to college counselors about this. I've talked to lots of different people. And and this one mom with this 15-year-old kid that didn't want to let him edit video in the church office, I mean, that's a safe place. But I I told her that you've got to let go. And the kid needs to edit that video, not in his bedroom, but at the church office. We've got to get him out of the bedroom, out of the house. Even just regular. Fully verbal. I talked to him. Right. Even just tasks like, um, you know, like you were saying, going to the, the, the bathroom by themselves or, um, you oh, know, ordering you McDonald's. Oh, on the bathroom. Oh, I had uh, lunch uh, with a mom. The kid was 12, completely verbal. He was a little cute, cute little kid, fully verbal, talked to him at lunch. And mom was still taking him into the ladies' restroom at 12. And the kid was fully verbal. Right. And um, and we were at a restaurant, and and I you know I explained to him the rules for the men's restroom, which I have read in the social skills book, and that's why I know them. I told him the rules of the men's restroom, and then when we got to the end of the meal, I just said, I think it's time for you to use the men's room. And the kid got up and did it, and he had to ask the waiter to find out where it was. I said, right. time, you're a big boy, you go in the men's room by yourself. And then I, my students got a 12-year-old kid, and um, and I asked her when she started letting her son use it by himself, and she said it's seven, but I would stand right outside the door to make sure he right. came right back out. But seven was about when she would wait outside the door and he'd go in and use it. And we were talking about that, and I was talking to her son, who's 12, the same age, and he was like laughing, going, well, that's crazy. I wouldn't want mom in the men's room, in the lady, go, go in the ladies' room. Yeah, and you know, and it must have given the the young boy uh, such a sense of accomplishment but I too. I couldn't believe it. This wasn't a nonverbal kid. I mean, this wasn't. There were some where yes, you'd have to do that, but this was a kid, a fully right. verbal kid. You could talk a normal speech, normal con- conversation. This was a quiet restaurant, um, and 
and she was still taking him in the ladies' room. And I, I just at the end of the meal, I just nonchalantly said, "Now I think it's time for you to use the men's room." And the kid got up and did it. Because you have to think, even in a school setting, um, you know, not I'm sure an aide is not going to go into the bathroom no. with the child. So you know, it's 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 um, not it's a twelve-year-old. Right. Um, we sure. have one or two that calls here that seem to be able to come in, and I do apologize. Right, do I see there's like 10 or 20 in. of them. All right. Let me All see right, what I've got on this call. one. Okay. okay. Um, area code 516-429, you're on the air. Hi, Marianne and Temple. It's so, I'm so glad you, I got the opportunity to get in today. One of the things that um, I think that uh, my name's Diane Who's Porter. This? I'm sorry, what uh, is Diane your name? Porter. I'm sorry, oh. my name's Diane Porter. <laughs> Hi, Diane. Hi, how are you? Good. Um, one of the things that I wanted to respond to uh, that Temple was mentioning is the importance of parents getting um, kids out into the community. And one of the things that she um, says over and over again is that it's a safe place, like the boy in the church going um, somewhere that's a safe place, and her being with her um, her teachers when she was younger doing certain things. And I think that that's a key thing for parents to be able to get their children out into the community is building relationships with their local uh, business owners and places so that they do know that when their children are there that it is a safe place. And I I think that, um, you know, uh, we need to work a lot on um, getting those relationships established so that parents can see there is a safety there, that they're in judgment-free zones, that they're able to um, bring their children out and not feel like, um, you know, they're off-putting anybody or that their child is going to be, uh, you know, discriminated against or treated poorly. So. Yeah, you said, and of course, the problem you've got with autism now, you've got all the different levels of it. But these were, um, you know, the the boy with the video editing. I talked to the kid. Uh, I actually talked to, him, talked to him about some ways that he could do the stop-motion animation. And, uh, you know, the mom was having problems with letting go. And, uh, you know, they were good friends with the pastor. I mean, the church office, and he'd been at, you know, the church was a mile away. He could just ride his bike there. And he had ridden his bike there. And I think mom would be more... things up in the community. Yeah, I think that mom would be more um, willing to let him try those things because there was a relationship established. and The relationship actually was already there. Right, right. So I think that parents, um, you know, at a very young age, it's as much as they want to withdraw and stay home because it's so difficult to um, to get out in the community. Building these relationships and creating these safe places for their children is really something to work toward. Well, my mother, when I was 13, just set up in the community with a freelance seamstress, a little sewing job. Mm-hmm. And it was just a... Um, <coughs> a seamstress that worked out of her home, and I took apart dresses, and I did hand hemming. Mm-hmm. And I started out as a volunteer, and the lady really liked me, so she um, she started paying me because I was really helpful. But that was just something that Mother just set up in the community. She saw the sign for the dressmaking shop and, and just sort of explained the situation, and 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 she did have to drive me there. It was too far away for me to, to uh, get there, but... That was two afternoons a week, and it was a really, really good experience, and it didn't cost anything, and it was just done in the community. And I think that your mom was a trailblazer and so forward-thinking and progressive in all of what she was able to do and just instinctually know what needed to be done. That's right. And I think that, um, you know, the the world as a whole needs to start thinking out of the box and um, realizing that 
so many strengths and talents of the children that we're dealing with and working with um, are just hidden and masked because of the understanding of what the disability, in quotes, disability is. Well, they're looking at the the disability, and and then I talked to the kid about ways that maybe he could do the animation. Right, right. uh, That the people at the church might think was good. Right. And you could open up a whole new life, a career, well, an interest. Well, that's right. Because simply you've got to learn how to do animation that a client wants. Mm-hmm. Right. And how many, which... children, how many children are we missing out on these hidden strengths because they're just not able to get into the community um, because the behaviors are interfering? Well, this kid didn't or... have any behavior problems. He was perfectly behaved at the airport. Yeah. There were no behavior issues. Yeah, you know, well, I think it's, it's, this was what we used in the fifties. We called geeks and nerds. Um, look like mm-hmm. the kind of kid that you know works for a graphics company. See, this is where autism has all the different levels. Mm-hmm. You know, then you have ones where there's more likely a behavior issue. Mm-hmm. And then what I ended up doing with anger, um, I switched from anger to crying. Mm-hmm. And I've had mom say, "Well, is it okay for my boy to cry?" I go, "Yes, it is," because right. crybabies at NASA had great jobs. And when the space shuttle was shut down, they were all crying. You can look them up on 60 Minutes. And, you know, it's it's important to know your child because, you know, let's look at these horrific situations where children have wandered um, with, you know, catastrophic results. Yeah, and that's usually children that are more more nonverbal. Nonverbal. So you need to know your child. And it's a different world. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. I wish it was the 1950s. And I'm a very, I was a very overprotective mom. And um, you know, um, it's a scary world out there. So you know, how how does a, you know, how do you think a parent can get past that? I mean, you know, being so scared that something bad is going to happen that you limit the child so much. I, the thing is, uh, something bad can happen in your own bathtub. I fell in the bathtub. And I, I bashed in my skull. I was very, very lucky. I wasn't badly hurt. It was my own bathtub. And uh, it could have done me in. Right. I'm going to try to take another call. Diane, if you want to just hold, um, and then we can come back to you. I just want to take, I have a whole bunch of callers here. We're just having trouble getting them on. So I'll be right back sure. with you, Diane. Okay. Okay, um, area code 212-594. Are you there? Hello? Well, I guess they hung up. Okay, that one. I'm not getting Okay. Um, so I want to just go back um, before we finish up. And I apologize, Cole, as I see you here. We're trying to bring you on. Blog Talk is working on it. Um, you know, I just want to go back to what we touched upon before um, of the importance of getting the kids. Listen, the Internet is an unbelievable thing. Um, if used correctly, oh, these kids gain unbelievable Internet. knowledge. But we like see free computer programming classes. Okay, I'll tell you what the hot languages are for your little mathematician kid to learn. C++, Charlie++, JavaScript, like coffee, Ruby, like the jewel, and Python, like the snake. And those classes are free. Uh, There's uh, free programs like SketchUp for doing um, three-dimensional drawing. There's all kinds of great stuff online. But for a kid to just sit for hours in his room playing video games or surfing silly websites or sometimes unsavory websites, that's that's not a good thing. We've got to get those uh, teenage recluses out of the room, and, and we've got to get them, kids out doing things. And that's why this Maker Fest was so wonderful. I mm-hmm. saw these kids out there having the best time with those boxes. You know, cardboard ruled. Cardboard ruled over electronics. Well, that may, 
a 50s thing. They were loving it. And, you know, parents have to monitor, especially when they're in their teens and when they're young adults. If they're sitting in their room and they're not interacting with the world and they're having a difficult time fitting in, parents really need to know what they're doing. Now, let's just say that you're talking to a parent who has, in their teens, early adults, and they're just not motivated or afraid of the world or angry at the world or whatever it may be, what could a parent do to the direct point where that? they, you know, um, you know, get a job. One thing I do is put the computer out in the living room so I can know what's on it. And if it's the uh, JavaScript program, fine, because um, mm-hmm. that's going to teach you how to do a job. I think a lot of these teens need to get a job. You know, I was one of the kids where regular high school did not work for me. I went to this special boarding school. But let's say you're a teen where the regular high school is not working, and so you decide to get homeschool and finish up online. I think the kid needs to get a job. And uh, if he's under 16, put him in the informal economy. You know, like maybe there's a little insurance office down the road that he can walk mm-hmm. to, and he can uh, do some office work, you know, and just get paid cash. You've got to get out of the house. A mentor. I mean, you've uh, had a mentor. Well, I mean, I had Mr. Carlock, my science teacher. And there's a lot of, you know, retirees around that, you know, maybe they'd mentor a um, small engine repair class with lawnmower engines and introduce um, middle school kids to engines because diesel mechanics and auto mechanics right now, there's a ton of jobs out there for that. Right. And, you but know, I like think a engines, lot of... Uh, you'll get a job. Right. And, you know, to find someone else, it's not bad parenting. I mean, it's no. it's a matter of, it's unconditional love. You know, you love your child, you, you hate to see them struggle, you don't like to see them out of their comfort zone. So sometimes these young adults and teens do better with somebody else that they don't have that relationship with. Well, that's right. And and they need to, um, you know, kids, uh, you know, at the Maker Fair, uh, they you know, they cut the cardboard wrong and didn't build the fort right, the adults didn't correct it. You know, they let the kids just experiment. Mm-hmm. You know, and now there's grown-ups there where they're supervising to make sure that, you know, they didn't get in a fight or, you know, do something right. they shouldn't right. be doing. But it was let the kids play as long as they didn't do anything, you know, like fighting. Right. So, I mean, basically, I guess we're going to wrap up the show, but, you know, basically parents have to deal with their anxiety and safety first. I mean, you know your child, you know, um, you know, what their level of functioning is. But I I think at just about any level, um, there is some option. Um, Wouldn't you think, Temple, to to get them out of the house? Absolutely, because let's just look at something like dressing themselves. Okay, I went to another, visited with another family, had dinner at their house, and this kid was, you know, probably 12, 13 years old, nonverbal, and um, he hadn't learned to dress himself. Mom was dressing him. I think the kid was capable of learning how to eat correctly by himself and dress himself. Okay, so let's work on that, you see. And he, uh, uh, he, the one thing he could do is he, was, he knew he was uh, toilet trained because the dad kind of laid the law down about that, but Mom was still feeding him and dressing him. Right. Uh, he was perfectly capable of learning that. Right. And, you know, I've always said that the ultimate goal in parenting is to have a child that can, um, you know, socially, emotionally, um, you know, be independent. So at any level of impairment, at any d- disability, there there is 
there is always a way of getting out and being part of the community. So I hope parents listen to what you're saying. I think we need to be looking at what he can do, you know, because I'm seeing, because the other thing what bothers me is then I'll go out and do some cattle thing, and there's people out there uh, building things for feedlots and stuff like that 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 are, you know, 50 years old and on the spectrum and and own a business. Yep. It's, uh, you know, I've made a point of making sure I, do other things other than autism stuff. The other thing I think is important is I'm seeing too many people getting so hung up on autism being their sole identity. Exactly. You know, to me, uh, cattle industry college professor, that's really, really important to me. You know, nice. Steve Shore is a statistics professor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's great. He teaches actually school. My daughter goes. One of my daughters goes. But, you know, oh, that's okay. the thing is labels cannot define um, who your child is. Yeah. Um, you know, it can't it's it's part of who your child is, but it's not who autism is not who your child is. Yes. Um, so, you know, I, I just hope the parents are, are able to understand that they you have to find what your child can do, not what they can't do. Well and that's everybody right. has a unique ability and a unique interest and that is the goal. The goal is to find what they, they're good at and then use that to lead them to a path to independence. That's right. No, that's absolutely right. And and use the teachable moments. What you want to try to do is don't scream no when they, uh, you know, pick the meat up with their hands or something like that. You just say, use the fork. Or when right. I remember as a very young child, I went into the, into the store and I went behind the counter. And I was told only the clerks go behind the counter. I, I was given the instruction that only the clerks are allowed behind the counter. Mm-hmm. I touched uh, something in the store and they'd say... You can only touch the things you're going to buy. You see, they give the instruction rather than screaming no when I reached for candy or something in the store. Right. And it starts young, like you said. Oh, well, no, you very are young. You are very approachable. Um, you know, we've been in a lot of conferences together, and parents just flock to you. And, I mean, the amount of time that you give the parents and the families is amazing. Um, so where are you next? Where can people find you? Um, where are you going to be speaking? And why don't you give us your website? Oh, wait a minute. My website's templegrandon.com. That's mm-hmm. templegrandon all run together.com. A lot of the places where I'm speaking is there. And if you're interested in livestock, I've got grandon.com, just my last name. It's grandon.com. Well, that's great. And um, I thank you again for helping me kick off the season. And, uh, you know, you're just well, a valuable Well, then, of course, I've got books, resource. too. Maybe I better do a little book promotion. I've got my book, Maybe The Autistic you should. Brain. And in my book, The Autistic Brain, I talk about the different kinds of minds, the visual thinkers, the mathematical thinkers, word thinkers. There's a mm-hmm. big chapter there on sensory problems, a lot of information in there on jobs for different kinds of thinkers. You know, and then, I've, then another book I have is The Way I See It. That's a very good book for, you know, for new parents with young children. A lot mm-hmm. of little short chapters with practical tips on how to just work and, and teach kids. Uh, it's totally a practical book, The Way I See It. You know, and then the autistic that that brain. is actually one of my favorites. The autistic brain is fantastic. The the way I see it, I just think is like a must read for every parent that has a child on the spectrum. Well, that's and the we did a I great interview too. Yeah, uh, well, the autistic brain. You and I did a great interview on yeah. that that we have on here too. But um, yeah, thank you, thank you for well, everything you do. The way I see it is 
is, uh, you know, if parents come up to me and say which book, you know, and they've got a three-year-old, I suggest the way I see it for the three-year-old. Right. For the and thinking kid, in pictures, yeah. yeah. Yeah, thinking in pictures, um, um, you know, but the way I see it, you know, it's got a lot of little short chapters. You don't have to read the whole thing. You kind of cherry-pick around in it, stuff mm-hmm. that interests you. And and uh, it just has a lot of tips in there on teaching. And so teachers that work with little kids, I recommend the way I see it. And for, you know, young children, yeah, the way I see it would be the book I'd recommend. Now, older kids, fully verbal, I've got some other books. I mean, The Autistic Brain. But I also have The Unwritten Social Rules that I did with Sean Barron. Mm-hmm. And um, guidance counselors and school counselors that really like that book on working with teens, fully verbal teens, and social problems. I've got Different Not Less. That's 14 old Asperger's employed out in the workplace with jobs got diagnosed later in life to get insights into relationship issues. That's where a label helped them understand their social problems. You know, and when I look at all of your books, and, um, you know, I, I've read them, you know, what's great about the books um, is that it really brings you from A to Z because it brings you from identifying thinking styles and, you know, sensory issues and everything that everybody, the parents in the beginning and teachers need to know, all the way to careers. Um, and, you know, that's key because parents have to understand this is not a childhood disorder. That's um, right. That's absolutely you know, right. Yeah. But um, listen, go to templegrandin.com, and you have you can see where you can meet Temple, and you can order all of her amazing books. And Temple, I thank you very much for joining me again. It was great to be on the show, and it's too bad your switchboard wasn't working because I was looking forward to talking to callers. Me too, me too. And actually, okay. um, yeah, hopefully next time we'll get it fixed up. Okay, Temple, okay. thank you for joining me. Good to me. talk to you. Okay. You too. Yep. Um, so next Tuesday we have... Um, Dr. Richard Selznick is going to have on Jesse Berg, and they're going to be talking about um, the importance of visual cues for children with learning disabilities and dyslexia. So you can catch that Tuesday night at 9. Thank you for joining us. You can find us at www.thecoffeeclatch.com. Thank you very much.